Let's uh, take that last line seriously. Write this down, for these are true and worthy. So I encourage you guys to write things down as you listen to the Word of God today. Welcome, everyone, uh, to worship uh, service here at FCBC. Someone should mute me. Okay, well, let's try it again. Welcome welcome to worship with us. Uh, if you are here for the first time, love for you to join us uh, today. Uh, we are actually at the end of our worship, uh, sermon series called GPS. Uh, the whole point of this series is for us to walk through the Bible as fast as we can in six weeks. So we're trying to track through the entire Bible. And part of the things I did uh, a little bit differently this time compared to before was that uh, I didn't go into particular passages and do it expositionally, but really retelling the whole story of God from beginning to the end. And that's where we will be at today, the end of the entire story of the Bible. I think every good story... Every good movie, every good TV shows must have a good ending. You can't have a greatest of beginning. You have the greatest of twists. But somehow it did not land on a good ending. You will walk away from that movie, walk away from that TV show feeling like, oh, what a disappointment. My, my conviction is that almost every sequel of a movie is bad because they can never recapture that initial ending of the first movie. Uh, one of my favorite movies, uh, if you don't know, uh, is Top Gun. Maybe most of you have not seen it because it's quite old. Uh, but good news, the sequel is coming out. Uh, this might be just the only sequel that is actually good, okay? So go watch it. I don't get any commission for it. But I love this movie. Uh, the movie starts with this this pilot, fighter uh, this uh, fighter pilot uh, in the Navy. His, uh, his name is Maverick. And... Uh, he was this Lone Ranger. He loves fighting, and he's one of those jerks that no one wants to be with. But the whole point of, for him training to be in a Top Gun, in Top Gun, if you don't know, Top Gun is one of the unique, uh, the, the elite unit uh, of fighter, uh, fighter pilots. And so he was going to fight, uh, the flight school, and he was all about himself. And what happened was along the way, as he was learning and practicing, they were called out with his partner uh, to go fight a war, uh, to fight a battle. And what happened was one of his reckless uh, act uh, during that uh, dog fighting. His partner died. His partner died, and because of that, he was devastated, depressed, and he kind of lost his fight, really, to be a pilot. But it wasn't until the end of the story, what makes it so good is, by the way, when I watch that movie, at the end, I'm like, man, like throughout the movie, I want to be a fighter pilot. Like I, I wish I could, but I couldn't because my eyes, I don't have 20-20 eyesight. So I would never be a fighter pilot. But at the end of the movie, what happened was uh, he was kind of down in the dumps and like, he, people were trying to get him back. And they were facing this really serious uh, battle uh, out in the middle of, uh, of the ocean. And, and they were calling him back. And the, the, the crew was going, we need you, we need you. And so even though he, was like, he had no confidence in skills, he didn't want to fight. He decided that I would just suit up once again and go fight. And as a result of that, he saved the, the rival that he was, he was uh, going against in his own team. But he ended up saving his life. You know, a good ending of a story always makes the story good. And I believe that's why we need to cover this last story, last act of the story of God today. Because we have a good ending. The story of God has the best of ending because the story of God tells the best story. We have a story that have an ending that tells us all things will be good. All things will be new. 
So I thank you, for, uh, Ken, for reading the passage earlier for us. Uh, just a quick review. Uh, we started out the first act of, of the Bible starts with creation. God created all things good. But there's a problem. There's rebellion. There's sin entering into the world. In your life and my life, we rebel against God. And from that moment on, God was on a journey, on a mission to save us, to bring us back, to bring redemption. First, he did it through the Old Testament. That through Abraham, through his family, he said, I will promise through Abraham the blessing will be upon their family and throughout to the rest of the world. But unfortunately, that was not a, a, there was a working covenant, but not a complete covenant because people continue to sin. We saw that in the scripture. Every page of the Old Testament tells us that we cannot keep the law on ourselves. It wasn't until the New Testament comes that the re- true redemption happens through the life of Jesus that he died on the cross, he lived a perfect life, and he was resurrected from the dead, and he was raised from the dead uh, through resurrection. And now we have the perfect sacrifice for our sins. And last week, we went quickly through the New Testament, and we saw how our life has a purpose. That God did not just take us up from he- uh, to go up to heaven, just very much like uh, the disciples were asking Jesus after Jesus was resurrected and said, God, uh, Jesus, aren't you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And then they left that scene. We're looking up in the sky, and I was sharing with a hungry. It's really funny. They, they look up in the sky. Jesus was kind of rising up and going to the right hand of the Father of God. And then the angel came by and said, what are you looking at? You're not going there yet. There's something for you to do, and you, your job is to bring this mission, this redemption to the people who have yet to hear the good news of Jesus. And so we are all living in that path. We're all living on that mission. As long as we're believers on this world, in this this earth, we are living in that. And so today, we're going to look at that very last act of God, last act of the Bible. Where are we heading to? I want to begin today by looking at actual the ending. In Revelation chapter 21. Because this is where we must start. This is where you and I are heading to if we have Christ in our lives. If you have your Bible with you, please turn to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21. By the way, one of my pet peeves, people tend to say revelations. Actually, it's only revelation. One revelation. Singular. One. Only. Because God did not give all sorts of alternative ending. There's only one ending, one good ending. So it's Revelation, okay? So Revelation 21, verse 1 says this. Here is the promise. Here's the ending that you and I get to live in full when the time comes. And hear what it says. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth hath passed away, and the sea was no more. And I... Here's John speaking, saw the holy city, new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Here's what we saw right here. We see this ending involves an old earth and old heaven being passed away. The very old earth and heaven that you and I are living with right now, that's infected with sin, infected with brokenness, infected with your rebellion and my rebellion, that earth will be replaced, it says, by a new heaven, by a new earth. In fact, it says, verse 2, that John saw this city, Jerusalem, will come down from heaven onto earth. There will be something brand new that you and I will be living in. And then continue on, John said this, verse 3. John heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold. Anytime you see the word behold, substitute the word wow. 
Okay. So behold, wow, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither should there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Not only physically we have heaven on the earth. By the way, that's what Jesus prayed in the uh, in the Lord's prayer, right? His will be done on heaven and as on earth. God literally brought heaven into earth for a new place for us to live, but not physically, but even relationally. Take a look at this, what he says here. This is exactly how the Bible first started. This was the life of Adam and Eve. That they have this perfect union with God. There was no death. There was no tear. They were God's people in the most perfect way. There was no sin, no barrier between them. God was with them. God was walking. Go back to Genesis chapter 1. God was walking in the cool of the day with his people. That was how you and I were first designed to be. And the end of the story tells us that if we have Christ in our lives, we will be fulfilling that exact same. We will experience that exact same thing. A world that is renewed, healed, redeemed, and restored. And I think it's really hard for us to get that concept because we live in such a broken world. But I think that's why the book of Revelation was given to us because we need to see far enough down the road to know to be assured that is where we're going because it will be way too easy for us to lose sight of and to to lose confidence of that it will be so so easy for us to start getting discouraged by what we're facing day in and day out and so god through john the apostle john gave us this great image but what i want you to know though this last book of the bible is really not all about the future. Many of us think of the book of Revelation, we think, oh, it's all about the future, about what's going on in, in the future, which is true. But what's more important is not what happens in the future. What's more important is that what we'll see is that God, through the Apostle John, actually opened up the curtain. Kind of let us see the backstage of the life that you and I are living right now. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I think it was a couple weeks ago. I think the Oscars was going on. If you look at the stage, it was spectacular. But I love those in between in and out scene going to the commercial. You know why? Because they kind of have that camera. I, I, I don't. I'm not good a photographer or videographer, but they kind of go panning and kind of follow through to the backstage. And you know what you find in the backstage? It looks nothing like the front stage. It's all kind of junky. There's like poles, metal stuff around, and then there's these cardboard. And you see what you see is the stage looks spectacular on the outside. But what is required to up, uh, to keep and to make that stage nice on the outside, you actually require a lot of work on the inside. And what the book of Revelation actually does is, John get a peek of what's in the inside. See, many of us are looking at the outside of all our lives and, well, why, things are happening this way. But John gets to see, and subsequently we get to read what is going on behind the scene, what is going on really throughout this history of the world, throughout how the world really works. Because in Revelation, the curtains of God's heavenly throne room was being opened, pulled back, and John took a peek of that. You see, the book of, the book of Revelation was written by the Apostle John. He was writing to a group of church. 
a group of churches that were small, that were discouraged. They were discouraged because they were like the people in Nigeria. They were being persecuted by the Roman Empire. Actually, speaking of, uh, I'm glad Hannah and I can pick Nigeria. Actually, a couple of weeks ago, I was with a group of pastors, and someone, I, I hope it's not the same person, but someone that uh, was together uh, in that gathering, one of their friends, we actually that night prayed for their friend who was in Nigeria. He, and he and his family was on that on the hit list by Boko Haram. And that night we were praying, praying earnestly for them that God would spare their lives. And if God does take their life, that the, his glory will be shown. And that is the type of church that John was writing to. They were feeling like they were in the trenches of the battle. They were losing hope. They were discouraged. And John and God allowed John to see behind the scenes that they are not just fighting a battle for themselves. They are not fighting the battle, the, 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 the battle for the church. But that there is a bigger battle going on behind the scene. That the battle was really between God and Satan. That your struggle and my struggle is not just because I made a mistake that I, I, need, to re, I need to do something to fix it. But there is a far greater battle going on and you are stuck in the middle of it. But the book of Revelation tells us while we cannot see it, it's going on. Better yet, the news is that God will triumph. God will have victory in that battle. And that should give us hope, doesn't it? That we know the ending. You know, my, my family, uh, when we used to meet in the afternoon, uh, we can't watch a lot of the football games, uh, NFL games, so we record it. And we try really hard not to check the score, right? Like we're trying to wait till church is over, we get home and watch, watch the game. But, then we, but a lot of times notifications are setting in. Uh, particularly my friends, they just, when we're losing or, or, or winning, they would just keep texting. And they just keep showing up. And almost in, it's impossible for, for me not to find another score. But you know how it is, right? When you know the score and watch the game, even though we may be down by 30, but I already know they're winning, I'm not like, oh, I'm not all that worried. I'm like, yeah, like, well, we'll get back. We'll come back. We'll get Like if you today watch the Lakers, you know that they're going to beat the Pelicans. I tell you, they're guaranteed they're going to win. When they're down by 25, you're like, we're chill, we're good. LeBron's going to come back. Right? We know the ending, and that gives us the hope that nothing will shake us. But here's the thing, though. Sometimes we don't see that. But the book of Revelation tells us, no, God will triumph. In fact, the very beginning of the book. Can we turn on the fan a little bit? A little stuff to hear. Uh, in the beginning of the book, Revelation chapter 1, it started out with this view that John had of the exalted Christ. I want to read for us in chapter 1, verse 12 to 16. John turned to see the voice that was speaking to him. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head was white like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. John saw who Christ was in full. How about you? We grew, most of us grew up in America. We saw Jesus differently, don't we? We saw, we see a Swedish Jesus. Always white skin, light hair, long hair. A very European Jesus. 
when John get a glimpse of Jesus sitting on the throne, can you go to uh, the other verse? I don't remember. But he saw someone who was powerful, someone who was exalted as king. And then John went on and see this image, and he went in, and to encourage the, the seven churches at the time, and he went to encourage them, tell them that this is the Jesus that you're worshiping. Stay faithful. And each one of those churches have problems, just like this church here. We all have problems. And it says, stay faithful. This exalted Christ, he will be king. And then here's a really, really weird scene came up in chapter 4. John then was allowed to see these 24 elders sitting around the throne. 24 elders, 12 represent the Old Testament, 12 represent the New Testament. 12 elders sitting around the throne, and what they see was this scroll. A scroll that represents names in there, but there's a problem. The scroll has a seal on it. In fact, not one seal, but seven seals on it. And then we, it, the, the scroll is supposed to represent the person who, who has the power over history. And then the angel asks this question, who can open this scroll? Who can open the seal? And then John looked around, and then in chapter 4 in Revelation, looked around and said, nobody could. No one answered. No one even whispered. He said, I could. And in John, uh, Revelation chapter 4 tells us that John started weeping. Because he realized if no one can open the scroll, that means history is going to be, we're going to continue to stay in this broken, messed up world. That no one is in charge of, no one is in control of this history, this world. And so he started weeping. And then the angel came along and told him, and the elders came along and told him, take a look. There will be a lion. A lion from the line of Judah. He is going to be able to open it. He alone can open this seal, by the way. That's where the song comes from. Lion and the Lamb. Because when John opened up his eyes through his tears, what he saw was not a lion. You know what he saw? He saw a lamb. But not just any good old lamb. A lamb that was slain. A lamb that was crucified. A lamb that was slaughtered. And John said, wait, this is the lamb that can actually open the seal? This is the person. This is the lamb that can control. And the result of that scene it's worship. Revelation chapter 5 is not on the screen. I'll read it for us. Because before, as he saw this opening up, all of a sudden he realized the very king that we worship is not the regal lion, uh, 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 what we think of as king. is the king that actually sacrificed for you and I. And now he's reigning. And now before him was shouts of hymns of praise before the 24 elders. Chapter 5, you, you have your Bible turned there. Chapter 5 verse 9 says this. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll, to open its seal, for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe, language, people, and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And they shall reign on. Does this sound familiar to you? That this God is going to make his people to be the kingdom and priests. Every Sunday this year, we've been reciting from First Peter chapter two. What did God call us to be? A kingdom of priests, a royal priesthood. You see, what God has promised us in the future, He already started doing today. And He said, when that fully happens, we will be part of that worship. And not only just us, not the elders. He says, thousands upon thousands of angels will be there. In fact, not just people, not just angels. 
Revelation 5 continue tells us, every cre- creature in heaven and on earth will fall down and worship that crucified, slaughtered lamb. And this is what they will be saying. They will be saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power, wealth, wisdom, and might, and honor, and glory, and blessing to him who sits on the throne, and to the lamb be blessing, honor, glory, and might forever and ever. You see, most of you are looking at me and like, well, that sounds great. When you think of worship, there will be worship that is be unknown to any one of us. I want you to think of the greatest concert, the greatest event that you've been to, football, sporting event, whatever it is. The greatest roar you have heard. If you've ever been to a basketball game, a football game, or a concert, just picture that scene. The guy just came up. I don't know. Justin Bieber showed up. The roar, the cry that people had, like, yeah! But not just one, not just ten, not just a thousand, but twenty, thirty thousand people. But here in this picture, you know what we are looking forward to? Not tens, not twenty, not thirty. Billions upon billions. In fact, an uncounted number of people who is roaring for the Lamb that we call to be God and Savior and the Lord of our lives. That's what we're made to do. That's what we're called to do. That's what we're promised to do. I think the closest thing I've ever felt was when I went to Urbana at this mission conference back in 2000. 20,000 people in the stadium. We were just worshiping. People were laughing. People were crying. It was just one heart, one voice. People were just worshiping God. And that's what we get to look forward to. And John saw a glimpse of that and said, that is what, what we will be doing. That's what we are, we're about. And, and subsequently, the rest of the, I'll fast forward to subsequently, the rest of the revelation are those vivid images that what will bring forth toward that, the battles that will be fought for on behalf of you, on behalf of me, on behalf of, of the salvation of many, that glimpses and vivid images which keep showing forth that God will ultimately defeat Satan. That he will be sent to the lake of fire. I think many times people get confused and get 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 um, hung up on on the literal or the the the, the what, what does it look like? What does it happen? But what we really real, need to realize from the book of Revelation is this: two things will happen. Judgment is real, and it will happen. That those of us who don't have Jesus, we will be judged. And while we may be winning today, and the day of judgment, we will not be winning. Satan is still winning today in some level. But the book of Revelation tells us that no, Satan will not ultimately win the, win the game. Jesus will win the game. Jesus will win life for us. So judgment, the second thing will happen as well. Salvation will happen. That while all of us who, claim, uh, who proclaim to be Christians will put our faith in Christ, you're not fully saved. Because the Bible tells us, yes, on one level you are saved. But you continue to be saved. And finally, at the end of time, you will be fully, completely saved. Because you will have a new body. You will live lives that with, a, with a, a body that will never be able to expose to sin. There will be no presence of sin. And there will be no power of sin that can be acted upon you. And it is hard for us to gather that because this is not a world that we lived in. But John continued to the rest of the book. Reminding those defeated Christians 
discouraged Christian, those Christians who are struggling in their faith as they face persecution, reminding them that God is the one who is in charge of history. And the end is already written. And yet there's purpose right now that we're living through, and God said, be faithful. Stay the course. Man, I only imagine it, the comfort that come across to those people that literally see their neighbors dying. Like imagine yourself in Nigeria today that your pastor, pretending to be me, next Sunday show up, he's no longer there, and you know why. It's not because he was sick. It's not because he just called, called in a sick day. But you know that he was crucified. He was, it was, he was slaughtered. He was persecuted unto death. And imagine those people hearing that good news that, man, life is tough. Things are hard. But God said there's something for you to look forward to. That is the hope we have. That's the hope that we have at the end of the story, at the end of the Bible. It tells us there is hope for us. We're not just going through the motion to play church. We're not going through the motion to play Christian. But we have a real life to live because there is a real ending to our lives that actually matters. So here are a couple of things I want us to walk away with. Here's one truth about God we need to know. That Jesus promised to restore all things new. God promised that all things would be restored new. But I don't think you and I get what new means. So let me use, a, use an illustration to help us. And I tried that on Friday with some of our youth. Originally, this fruit, this orange just looks like this. I kind of took the liberty and go dismantle it because none of us eat orange like this, right? So I unpeeled it, separated all of it, flesh by flesh. But what if I tell you, I'm going to give you this plate, now you have to put it back together. What, will you, what are you going to do to put it back together? The best thing you can do is probably use some tape. Tape all the flesh together, hold it together, somewhat of a form of a, of a sphere. Then you can put all the skin back around it as, somewhat, as best as you can to fit it all together and wrap tape around all of it. Which one of our youth did on Friday, she literally wrapped the whole thing in tape. Then I proceed to ask the question, so would you eat this orange right now? Do you think the best of our ability to put this orange back together, would it look like the original orange? And I think all of us know the answer is no. Doesn't matter how hard we try to put it back together, it would not be new unless I give you a new orange. That's the only thing that can be new. Is I give you a new orange. You cannot three, you cannot put it all back together in the exact same way before it was broken. And that is what I believe what John saw. That's what God has promised. He's going to make you something new. So new that it will be so foreign to you. Because there are prophecy upon prophecy. I'll give you one in Isaiah. That will seem strange for us, this new world. Isaiah chapter 11 verse 69 says this. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. And the lepers shall lie down with the young goat. And the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together. And a little child shall lead them. Just picture that for yourself. That is the world, the perfect world, the new world, the new heaven that God promised to us. Have you ever seen a lion next to a fattened calf? That's the alive. 
Have you seen a child leading the, the lion and these calves and these animals that can be together harmoniously, perfectly? The cow and the bear shall graze. The young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of cobra. And the weaned child shall put his hand on the antlers den. They shall not hurt or destroy in my holy mountain. Why? Because the ending of our story says this. The earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as waters cover the sea. In that new and perfect world, there will be no more tears, no more fight, no more hatred, no more love. There's no more brokenness. That is the new world that God promised to give to us. So, so there, it will be in vain for us to continue to put this back together and try our best to get the best world thinking this is heaven. So there's a point for us to live a, a good life, a Christian life, but we will never get there. We're only looking forward to that new heaven and earth down the road when Jesus comes back. So what does it matter for you and I? Here's why, why it matters. Because... Because we know the end, and we know because we know that new heaven, a new earth will come, then we must persevere well. We must endure well. We must stay faithful and be courageous in Christ. Psalm twenty-seven fourteen says this: Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Last week, uh, I kind of shared with us, I think all of, I think we, I know, all of us are living in that in-between place. Heaven, earth. And there would not be one Christian standing here, sitting here today and saying that I have the easiest life here on earth. And a lot of times we're wondering how do I get to the other side where I'm looking forward to. I think this verse tells us we must find strength in the Lord. We need to take courage in the Lord. If you ask any parents with newborns or any parents with, with, uh, that had newborn child, you ask them, is it easy? Does the day go by long or fast or short? The answer they tell you almost to the word would be this. The days are long, but the year is fast. I remember when my child was a baby. I'm just living three hours at a time. I just want to feed the baby, change the diaper, and do whatever it takes to put that baby back to sleep so that I get some sleep just to wake up for three hours again and do it over and over again. That day feels so long. And for some of us, I'm speaking to you, your day is long right now. Every day seems like eternity. Every day you're struggling with facing struggles that you cannot handle on yourself. Your days can be long and your days are long. But here's what the hope is. Because we know Jesus is going to come back. Jesus is going to bring make all things new. The year is going to go by. You know, a thought came to my mind. I was preparing for this. I was thinking, my oldest son is nine. He's third grade. In just three years, he will be in our youth group. Like, he will be with some of you in three years. Like, I cannot fathom the day that he will turn 10. That seems like eternity. It just went by and it just goes so fast. And I guarantee you that's how your parents think of you. Even my parents think of me that way. They just, a blink of an eye, your years are gone. And here's the, here's the, the hope that I want to bring to you through the word of God. Take courage today because the days might be long. But there is a new hope. There is a new heaven and earth. 
That is our hope for us. This week, I uh, unfortunately had the had the opportunity to hear many many bad news. Uh, part uh, several of those have to do with death. One of the person who passed away is about hundred. Uh, she was about hundred years old. I don't know her very well, but I guarantee if you talk to her, she will tell you a hundred years just passed by. And I don't think it will be her word because that's true of Scripture. Scripture tells us we're just man, we're just a breath. We're like grass, it withers. But here's the thing, we don't just die and just go to the ground, nothing. We have hope. Because one day you will rise again on eagle's wings before our God, before our King. And we will rise. And so here's the thing, don't give up. Don't give up so easily. Keep your eyes on that new heaven on earth that you got to go to. And when you're through, when you look back, you're going to look at that and say, man, like, that felt so long ago. Here's the second truth I want us to remember. Here's the second truth. The first one is that God will make all things new. Here's the second one. Jesus will come back soon. It's not my word. Jesus said it himself. In fact, at the very, what an appropriate ending at the end of the book of Revelation, but the, at the end of the whole Bible, in Revelation 22, three times, Jesus reminds us, I am coming back soon. Chapter 22, verse 17, uh, verse, chapter 22, verse 7, behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Twenty-two, twelve. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me, and will repay each one for what he has done. Judgment will go. I'm coming soon to judge. Verse seven. I'm coming soon to bless. And verse twenty. He who testifies to these things says, "Surely I am coming soon." I don't think it's an accident that why Jesus repeated it over and over and over again why he's coming back soon because we forget that over and over and over and over and over again that Jesus actually will come back soon. Because this is not a conviction in your heart and my heart. But this is the truth of God. Remember, Ken read to us in chapter 1, those of you who have ears, write it down. This is true. This is trustworthy and true. Jesus is coming back soon. And what does that mean for us? That means there's a response right after that. One thing is this, that we need to cry out to God to come. We don't know when, but we cry out to God to come. But here's the second thing. More importantly, there's a reason why you're still here, as we talked about last week. It's because there are many people who hasn't come yet. Read with me here. In Revelation chapter 22, verse 17. Let's read that together. One, two, three. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take water of life without price. So those of us who are already in Christ, he says, call out to God, say, come. But there are still many people who are still thirsty who are still hungry, who are still find, yet to find answer for their lives, this is your job and my job to invite them to come. This is why Jesus hasn't come back yet, because Jesus is continuing being merciful and gracious and calling people to come. 
This is why the story of the Bible is about the story of the gospel. Because this whole story is an invitation to come. I think it's only appropriate for us to, 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 look, to look at the whole story again. Can you go to the next slide, please? Simplify it a little bit. I hope that this will be a tool for you, those of us who are Christians, to invite those who are thirsty to come. And there are know that some of you don't know Christ yet. I hope this will be an invitation for you today to come. You might be thirsty for something more in your life. You're finding meaning. You're finding. You're trying to find purpose. You're trying to find make sense of what you're going through today. The trials, difficulties in your family, whatever it is. Here's the invitation for you to come. The Bible starts out saying that God's designs for perfection. But unfortunately, sin entered into the world. When sin entered into the world, it brought brokenness. And what happens for you and I, we're trying to resolve that brokenness with other things. Some of us use money. Some of us use people. Some of us use possessions. Some of us use relationships. Some of us even use family. Whatever it takes to mend that broken pieces together, only to find out that none of that works because every person, everything that we ever have, will pass away. They are broken themselves. And the story of God tells us we have this problem of brokenness even though, even though God meant it for, for us to be perfect, to have perfect relationship with Him, then there comes the good news for us. That there is a good news of Jesus that no matter what you do, you can come before Him, repent and believe and follow Him, and you will have new life. You will be restored in full. Starting from this life and to the life to come. This is the beauty of the story of God. This is what the gospel is. And for many of us, we're stuck right between brokenness and gospel. And here's what I want us to do today. I want to invite you to come. For those of us who are believers today, you might have already come and received Jesus. But perhaps you got back lost again to your brokenness. And Revelation tells us, come. Jesus is coming, come. Ask for Christ to come, you come before him. And those of you who are thirsty and hungry, you have not really lived and felt the life that you thought life should be like. The Bible tells us, come. I want to read for us. And I want to invite the worship team up. I want to have them play the last song, All Who Are Thirsty. But as they are coming up and, re and play, I, I want to read a passage for us from Isaiah chapter 55, thousands of years before the gospel was written. Through the prophet Isaiah, God has ordained and called and invite. He says this, come. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. For he has no money, come. Buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live. I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader, commander of the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation you do not know. A nation that did not know you shall run to because of the Lord your God. 
and of all the and of the Holy One of Israel, He has glorified you. You turn the light off. Would you bow your head? I don't know where you are in your life today, how you feel, what kind of things you're coming across. But I thank God for this ending. More importantly, I thank God that we don't only get to look at it, but we get to participate in it. God, call us. If you're thirsty, come. So will you just take a minute? I know there are some of you who need to come before the Lord, but you're either too ashamed to come or you're too scared to come. But I want you to know that God, with his open arms, are welcoming you to come. Whatever that you're going through and struggling, Jesus is calling you come. All who are thirsty, all who are weak, come to the fountain and dip your heart in the stream of life. And he's ready to receive you. I'm going to have the worship team sing, and I want to give us some time, just a few minutes to come before the Lord. Just you and God. If you need to repent, repent. If you need to ask God to receive you, ask God to receive you. If you need to put your faith in Christ, say, tell Jesus, I want to receive you as my Lord and Savior. Because I simply just don't know what I need to do in my life to fix it. It's all who are thirsty.